Um, I am just excited for us to be together, even though it's just online this week. Thank you so much for jumping in with our schedule. Um, my fun fact that I'm going to share with everyone, some people might know this, but I was born in Amsterdam, Holland. Amsterdam. And people then always ask me the second question, which is, do you have dual citizenship? No. Okay, so that's my fun fact for the day. Maybe it's not that fun. We've been going through the entire New Testament this year at, at Mill City, um, trying to say what would it look like for the story of Jesus and the story of God to be what helps us understand our stories this year. And that has been so critical and so important. Um, so today we're beginning the book of Hebrews. We're actually going to talk about this book for three weeks. It's got a lot there. And we're asking this question, what is the difference that Jesus makes? What is the difference that Jesus makes? And I want to encourage you right now, this is an important question for all of us to ask at a corporate level, but also individually. How would you answer the question, what is the difference that Jesus makes in your life? One of our hopes is that over these next few months, as we ask this question, what's the difference that Jesus makes, which we're going to talk about for a while, that you'd be able to answer that question for yourself individually, maybe for your family, maybe for uh, this church, Mill City Church. How would you answer the question, what's the difference that Jesus makes? So here's a thing that I think we probably most of us all have in common right now, and that is that we are discovering our coping mechanisms. Is anyone else discovering some new coping mechanisms in their life right now? I'm not going to ask you to share them on Facebook, but if you decided to on your own will to write them in on Facebook or YouTube, that might be comic relief for a lot of us. So go ahead. Um, so I don't know how you cope with things in your life when you are feeling like things are hard, but I'm kind of all over the board. I can cope in a lot of different ways. And one of the most unusual reactions and coping mechanisms I ever had in my life was after a pretty bad breakup about four or five years ago. I went through this breakup and I made a, I'm going to call it a breakup purchase, okay? A breakup purchase. And it was a rusted out old Volkswagen Cabrio convertible that I bought off of my friends, Nathan and Stephanie Cousins. You know that you'd put me in this situation, guys. And it was like $1,000 and uh, I should not have bought this thing, but I actually don't regret it at all, to be honest. But you can see by this photo of me with this, this cabrio that I was going to rock this new ride. I was going to forget this dude, man. His loss, look at my awesome new convertible. It's going to be awesome. Now, I maintain that buying this convertible was not an overarching mistake because I think I would do it all over again if I had the chance because it was really fun and I had a blast. But I was making two mistakes. Here's the two mistakes I think I was making. First, thinking that this breakup purchase was going to spare me the difficult post-breakup grief that I had to go through. Yeah, I, I did not, I should not have planned on that. <laughs> Secondly, uh, the mistake I made was putting my faith in the rusty brakes of that car. All right. Um, I tried to make that little car go as far as possible, though it didn't really sound quite right from the beginning, which should have been my first sign that I, I couldn't put my faith in the mechanics of this car. But one day I was driving and I realized that the brakes weren't quite working right. And then all of a sudden they really weren't working at all. And so I coasted all the way to Trevor Kaihai's house. He knows a lot about cars. Uh, basically coasted to his house, house without any brakes at all. And he took one look at the inside of this little cabrio and forbade me from driving it. I, I'm serious. He drove me home. He made me leave that car. <laughs> In front of his house and the next day the like cars for kids people came to pick it up as a donation and when I think about this story it's a really funny story looking back on it but the truth is when the going gets tough it can be so easy to misplace what I put my faith in I put my faith in the insides of that little car and it's rusty brakes and I shouldn't have done that 
I put my faith in this coping mechanism that really didn't actually help me cope with what I was going through. When it feels like the world around us is crumbling, we long to put our faith in something or someone that will give us assurance to make it through, don't we? This book of Hebrews was written to this group of people that I think were doing this exact thing. They were putting their faith in things that they thought could help them make it through the difficulties that they were facing. They were looking around to say, what could give me the assurance that I need to face these hard times? And the writer of Hebrews spends basically the entire book, all 13 chapters, trying to compel this audience to put their faith in Jesus above all else. When the world around you is crumbling, make sure your faith is in Jesus above all else. That's what I think the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. When the world around you is crumbling, make sure your faith is in Jesus above all else. So as we jump into this book today, I think it begs a question that I want you all to be asking. Let's ask as we talk through this, am I putting my faith in Jesus above all else? Now, I think another question might be, uh, are there things I should not, I actually should not be putting my faith in at all, like the brakes on the cabrio? Okay, so we might metaphorically have some of those things in our life as well. But let's ask these questions. Am I putting my faith in Jesus above all else? And maybe is there things I shouldn't be putting my faith in that I am? Hebrews is actually a fascinating book of the Bible. There's really nothing else like it. Uh, if you've been reading along in your reading plan, if you've gotten to Hebrews or if you get to Hebrews, you will notice that this is like nothing else. There is a, a few reasons that it's so unique. First of all, there is, there is no, we don't really know who actually wrote it. There's been a debate for a long time, but the reality is, is we don't know. The, the style of it is very different than Paul, so it probably wasn't Paul. And some scholars have even said there's a chance that maybe like a community or a group of people wrote it. And there's this list of women and men who are potential writers, but nobody actually knows. And that's kind of unusual. Uh, the other thing that makes it strange is kind of the style of the letter itself. Many scholars would say that it's less of a letter and really perhaps the written words of a first century sermon, a, a passionate and urgent sermon. So I thought about just reading Hebrews to you right now, but according to my Dwell Bible app, that's 53 minutes and 37 seconds. So I'm not going to do that. You're welcome. But it's this sermon that, that as you read it, it's not just like any uh, sermon. Really, it's this, this poetic sermon. And it's this weaving of a tapestry of encouragement and historical references and exhortation and then some poetic word pictures and then also some warnings to the people. There's two ways that I would encourage you to read Hebrews if you're starting to read it with us. First, listen to it. Have it read to you on an app like Dwell or Streetlights or the Bible app. Close your eyes and just try to imagine and picture what you're hearing because of these word pictures. A second way you can read Hebrews is to look up any Old Testament reference being made that you're not familiar with. You can usually see that in the footnotes. That second way will take a long time because it's like every other sentence the writer makes a reference to the Old Testament. But it would really be worth it to see how rich this sermon truly is. So we don't know who wrote it, and we also don't know exactly to who these people or person was writing. And so that's interesting as well. We don't know who the intended audience is. But we can tell from the context a couple things. First, we can tell that these folks who are hearing this sermon must be pretty well versed with the Old Testament or the Torah at that time. 
their, their scriptures would have been something that they really understood because of the way that this writer is, is assuming that they understand the stories, probably better than most of us do. Uh, then, secondly, you know that these people are going through a hard time. This is mentioned throughout the sermon multiple times. Themes of strength in weakness, of endurance through the struggle. It's all over the place in Hebrews. You'll notice it if you read it. And so today, I actually want us to focus on the first four verses of the book. It's not that typical that we just look at the very, very beginning of a book. We're usually looking at some bigger themes, and we'll do that a little bit today. But I want us to turn to Hebrews 1. Turn to Hebrews 1. Here's the the first interesting thing. In the English translation, which most of us are reading, uh, it's broken into multiple sentences. Verses 1, 2, 3, and 4 is multiple sentences. But in the original language of ancient Greek, all four verses are actually one big, giant, rich sentence. This one French scholar that I read said he thought that these four verses were, were the most perfect Greek sentence in the New Testament. The most perfect Greek sentence in the New Testament. So here's my, uh, here's my challenge is to talk about the most perfect Greek sentence in the, new, in the whole New Testament. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. So let me read it for you. We'll have it up here on the screen. Starting in verse 1. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Okay, so why would this writer say this is the most perfect sentence? I think it's because of how much it says about Jesus. This sentence might be the most complete answer to the question, what difference does Jesus make? There's actually seven things, seven things that are said in just that one big sentence, okay? And seven is the number of completion. Some of you have heard that before. That's why seven is happening in the Bible. So this is maybe another reason this is the most perfect sentence. Seven things that make Jesus superior to all, okay? Here they are. They're big words, all right? Jesus is the inheritor, the creator, the radiator, the representer, the sustainer, the purifier, and the ruler, These seven things show that Jesus is above anything and anyone we might try to put our trust in. Okay, so let me say these seven things again in context with the verse. All right? Inheritor. So it starts right off. God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in the past, but now he's speaking to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Inheritor. Creator. And through whom he made the universe. Radiator. The son is the radiance of God's glory. Representer. And the exact representation of his being. Sustainer. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Purifier. And he had provided purification for sins. Ruler. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Inheritor. Creator. Radiator. Representer. Sustainer. Purifier. Ruler. Jesus is all of these things so we can put our faith, or maybe another word that's synonymous to that is trust, so that we can put our faith and our trust in Jesus. 
Now, we don't use those seven words all that much. I, I don't know. At least I don't. So how about this? I'm going to give you the Pastor Steph translation, the PST. It's not a real translation. And I, I actually think it's probably pretty dangerous that we're taking, like, the most perfect sentence, apparently, and I'm going to try to put it in my own words. I pretty much already ruined it, I'm pretty sure. So that's fine. But we're going to do the best we can. So here's the Pastor Steph translation of Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, all right? Put it on the screen. In the past... God spoke through various means, but nothing as powerful as coming to earth in a human form and moving in with the humans. The one who moved in, Jesus, owns everything, made everything, radiates light, is God in the flesh, is sustaining all life, can purify even the most tarnished past, and he is in charge of everything. The writer of Hebrews wants to start off right away with the beginning of the sermon with a sentence that declares the difference that Jesus makes. And these people listening to this sermon, uh, they could choose to put their faith, their trust in a lot of things, but, but the writer is saying put their faith and trust in Jesus even when they're tempted to put their faith in other beings and other things. So these folks, whoever they are, that were getting, hearing the Hebrews for the first time, what do we think they were putting their faith in above Jesus? Actually, we can tell a little bit from what the writer of Hebrews is saying. And it's actually kind of interesting the things that they were putting their faith in above Jesus. Uh, it's not what you would think at first because they're actually good things. Things that maybe you would be tempted to put your faith and trust in above Jesus, but you do have some faith or trust in these things. It's just not good when these things are what you're trusting or putting faith in above Jesus, is what the writer of Hebrews is warning the listeners. Let me just give you the examples of what they are. Uh, there's really like kind of four things. The first thing is angels or messengers. So we don't necessarily talk a ton about messengers now. But for the people listening to the Hebrews sermon, they would have been thinking about how they wait for a message from God, from these celestial beings, because that had been their history, right? And so the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus is so much more superior than this. Jesus is, is so huge that you don't need a special, special message anymore from an angel because Jesus is the message. He became the message. He walked this earth as the message. Then chapter 2 talks about another thing that they were putting their faith and trust in, and that was the Torah or their scriptures. It's not that they can't trust the words of the Torah. It's that God is the one to be trusted, not just God's words. The Torah was the way that God communicated, but the writer of Hebrews is saying God's also going further in God's communication by becoming a human. The most intense and complete form of communication that you could do is to come and to be one of these humans. And then the third thing that they're tempted to put their faith in, in chapters 3 through 7, we see a, a different conversations about leaders, human leaders. They're tempted to put their faith and trust in leaders. Two examples are given. The first one is Moses, who is a very famous leader in their history, right? A freedom fighter who is known for, for the leadership of the people of Israel, of course. And then Melchizedek. A weird name that maybe a lot of us haven't heard, but right then people would have heard that and they would have th thought of like the most important priest that has ever lived, the, the high priest. And, and th it's not that those leaders can't be trusted or that leaders can't be trusted in general. At least some of them can, I think. But, but Jesus is the high priest, the most important leader, the leader to be trusted above all other leaders, the only leader that will never fail you. This is what the writer of Hebrews is it, trying to encourage them to think about. 
Moses had to go up from a mountain to hear from God and then tell the people the words, right? The priest was the one who said, hey, let me talk to God. I'll let you know what God has to say to you. Uh, The prophets were those who heard from God and then spoke to the people. But the difference that Jesus makes is that people no longer need a mediator and some sort of special human. Jesus is the only mediator needed between the humans and God so that there's no barrier between everyday humans. You don't have to be a special human or a special type of human to to have a go-between. You don't need a go-between between you and God. Jesus is the only mediator we need to have access to the love of God and a relationship with God. And then the fourth thing, this is interesting. Chapters 8 through 10 talks about putting trust and faith in religious practices. It's not that those aren't good things, you know, spiritual practices, but sometimes religion gets in the way of the relationship. And the writer of Hebrews saw that this was happening for these people. They were putting their faith in these practices. One writer of a commentary that I read, Douglas Webster, he said this. He said, he thinks Hebrews is a manifesto against self-justifying religious habits. He said, he goes on to say, religion is transcended by the finished work of Christ. There's no hiding behind ancient traditions or rituals. Hebrews calls us to trade in religion for a living faith and faithfulness until the very end. And so when I think about our lives, think about these four things that the Hebrews were putting their faith in, I I think it's tempting for us to put too much faith in the same things. Think about it. Waiting for a special sign or message from God before we take action and follow Jesus' words or Jesus' works or the ways of Jesus. Like we're waiting for a special sign when Jesus already came and showed us what it looks like to live like him. Uh, Sometimes we put too much faith in uh, knowing about the Bible and knowing the things that we need to know. I know about the number of completion. I think that makes me closer to God. No, it doesn't. Actually, it's, it's not the same as being in a trusting relationship with Jesus. We can't put our faith in these words above Jesus and the relationship that Jesus invites us to. We're tempted to do that same thing. Just like the Hebrews, we might put too much trust in human leaders that are fallible compared to Jesus. It's tempting for us to do that because we can see them and they're there and we we just want leadership and leadership is a good thing, but never when we put it above the leadership of Jesus in our lives. And then finally, I think similar to the Hebrews, we can sometimes be tricked into thinking that Actions of religiosity are a substitute for a consistent and deep relationship with God. I've seen that happen in my own life and others around me. So if I was going to sum up Hebrews in two sentences, we'll put them up on the screen. This is what they are. Jesus is the final word superior to everything and everyone. Jesus is the final word superior to everyone and everything. And then secondly, so when the world around you is crumbling... Make sure your faith is in Jesus above all else. So when the world around you is crumbling, make sure your faith is in Jesus above all else. So we're back to the question that that I said we need to ask ourselves. Am I putting my faith in Jesus above all else? Here's something that's been really helpful to me as I have been trying to think through the answer to this question. I'm trying to notice if there's any signs in my life of putting my faith in other things above Jesus. What would the signs be in your life? that you might be putting your faith in some things above the faith and the trust that you have in Jesus. I don't know what those are for you, but I'm going to be honest with you about a few of mine, okay? I I will say that when I'm putting my trust in something other than Jesus, 
I notice that I get this like jolt of anxiety when I see that there's like a news flash update on my phone or from one of my news sources. This anxiety fills me before I even read what it said. That's a sign for me. I notice when I say out loud or maybe only inside my head, the phrase, I can't live without that thing, that person, that comfort object, that feeling that I have inside of myself of almost like I can't live without that. That is a sign to me. I might be putting my faith or trust in something else to get me through. Another sign for me is when I notice that people who are, are people of influence on me, people, leaders that I follow, people that I, I watch, that I want to learn from, when I am listening to those folks and I'm not really thinking critically about what they're saying or checking their sources or wondering to myself, are they right or do I have a different opinion? I'm kind of like assuming that they're right before I really think about it and I'm swallowing what they're saying without thinking. That's a sign for me that I'm putting my trust and faith in those leaders in a way that is above my faith in Jesus. Uh, two more things. Another one is when, upco- when talk about upcoming stressful things like the election or other current events, when it feels like those things are taking up more space in my mind and my heart than it deserves, that's a sign for me. And then finally, when the amount of money in my bank account is making me feel insecure, but also when it's the thing that's making me feel secure, finding security in what I do have, either one, that is a sign to me that I'm putting my faith in these material things over my faith in Jesus. These are some of my signs. Think about what yours might be. But I want to just leave you with these two questions, these two important questions today. Am I putting my faith in Jesus above all else? And then secondly, what are the signs that I might be putting my faith in other things above Jesus? Am I putting my faith in Jesus above all else? And what are the signs that I might be putting my faith in other things above Jesus. This is such a critical set of questions to ask when it comes to the difference that Jesus makes in our life. Jesus left this earth, but he told us he's going to leave the Holy Spirit as our counselor and our guide. And so even so, in some ways, it would be easier, wouldn't it, if Jesus was still here with us in the flesh? But the truth is, is that God is just as present with us now. I know it doesn't always feel like that. I know sometimes it's hard to have that faith and that trust. But I want to encourage you, these things that we talked about, even the good things, they don't measure up to the trustworthiness of Jesus. Nothing does. That's what makes Jesus different than all else and all others. So though we may trust leaders or other humans or institutions, and that's okay, the difference that Jesus makes is that he can be trusted above all else. And that peace and assurance can come in our lives, no matter what is happening in the world around us, because we know that Jesus is the final word superior to everyone and everything. And when the world around us feels like it's crumbling, let's make sure our faith is in Jesus above all else.